Mission Log, A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast, Episode 112, When the Bow Breaks. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week, we examine an episode of Star Trek for morals, meanings, and messages. Each week, we also try to open with something very clever. Ah, uh, and this week, yeah, we're not gonna. <laughs> we, just, we just, we ran out. It's not, we, well, it's not that we ran out. It's just some weeks, you know, some weeks the muse presents, mm-hmm. some weeks not so much. Yeah. This week we, she we had nothing. We, we didn't know how to imitate ten little children. Oh, yeah. Well, we know how to do that, but really, right. we want people to listen, so we're not going to do right. that. Now, maybe if we had been raised by a, you know, hyper-intelligent kind of race of people that were devoted entirely to things like writing and drawing and, you know, painting and paying no attention to the weather, then then we'd have something. That's not the world we live in, though. No, it's not. So, no. Uh, today's show, Ken, today's show is When the Bow Breaks. Yes. And um, what's with that title? Well, uh, I'm here to tell you, of course, it is the familiar nursery rhyme uh, of undetermined origin, though. There, there are a lot of different versions of what that what that nursery rhyme means and where it came from. We do know that it was first published in England in the late 18th century, but the tune is actually from about 100 years before, and uh, it's called Lily Burello, and it was uh, a march, so it was a little more upbeat than uh, probably what you're thinking of right now when you hear that phrase, when the bow breaks. Um, so it's not, uh, not exactly Rockabye Baby that uh, you would have heard. I'm really wishing, though, that we had opened uh, pretending to be a bunch of 10-year-olds. <laughs> no, that's no, not no, true. no, no, not no. True we don't want all. that. We don't no, want we that. don't want that. No. Hey, it may have sounded like we had a jump start on trivia, but that was just bonus. That was just a bonus mm-hmm. thing right there. So don't even mm-hmm. don't even think that that's all the trivia we got because we got so much more. But before yep. we get to that, we should let people know how to get in touch with us. We'd love it if you got in touch with us on Facebook, Skype, or Twitter, where the handle is Mission Log Pod. All three of those places. You can call us three two three five two two five six four one. That number again three two three five two two five six four one. Email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. We have a great website for you to check out with discovered documents and all kinds of fun stuff. That's at missionlogpodcast.com. Then there are two other places to check us out online, trekmovie.com and trekfm. You can find that at trek.fm. And remember, any place that you get in touch with us, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Now, I hear you saying, well, what if I don't have comments? What if I just have trivia? Well, get them to us because we got a trivia guy who loves to take your trivia stuff, add it, add, add the uh, what is it? Add the distinctiveness of your trivia to his collective. <laughs> Something along you, those lines. I, I thought it was just going to trivialize it. Well, you might. That's right. Yeah. He made, just goes like <laughs> yeah. this. He gets he gets trivia email and he goes. Pfft. Yeah, exactly. It's not true yeah. though. He loves hearing from uh, loves hearing from the other trivia people out there, so that he can do a fuller, more robust uh, John Champions trivia. All right. What an intro. Yeah, of course, I already had to talk about the title. Just get that out of the way. But here we go. Let's talk about the show itself. Um, This is from first time Trek writer and director team Hannah Louise Shearer and Kim Manners. Now, Shearer would stick around for a few more episodes. Manners would not. This is her only foray into directing Star Trek. Um, 
Hannah Louise Shearer had pitched this idea to DC Fontana, inspired by the idea that uh, we had established that families are there on the Enterprise. Uh, we did that in the very first, the pilot episode encounter at Farpoint, mm-hmm. but we really hadn't done anything with that. So um, she decided to take on the task of exploring that a little bit further. What does that mean? And who do we get to meet? Now, um, as far as guest stars, because we have a lot here to talk about, uh, but of course, one of the standouts, Jerry Harden, plays Radu. He is a tremendously prolific character actor. Um, we will see him again in uh, later Next Gen, and we'll actually see him again in Voyager. Um, you may know him best as the character Deep Throat from The X-Files. Um, he was definitely a, uh, a standout in that. And um, another standout here, Brenda Strong, plays Rochella. She has also had a huge career. She's probably best known now as Mary Alice on the show Desperate Housewives. She was also in the reboot of the show Dallas. Now, I... Ken, I remember her fondly as the nurse, Nurse Gretchen in Spaceballs. To me, she's just one of those faces that I was like, hey, I, I, I know her from yeah. something. Mm-hmm. And it turns mm-hmm. out it's from some things, although I'm not a Desperate Housewives person. Uh, yeah, to me, it was Spaceballs. Yeah, I, I, I don't think she even had any lines in that movie, but <laughs> I remember her well from that movie. All right. I, I, um, I think I see what you're saying. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the kids, though. All right. So um, this is kind of cool. They had uh, uh, among all the, the cast of children there, uh, Jeremy and Amy Wheaton. I'm sure that last name sounds familiar. Yes, they are Will Wheaton's uh, younger brother and sister. They played Mason and Tara, respectively. And uh, Mackenzie Westmore played Rose. Now, Michael Westmore, of course, was the makeup director on uh, Next Gen and continued on with Star Trek for many, many years. And his daughter, Mackenzie, who was very wee at the time, played Rose. Uh, You may know her now as being the host of the long-running sci-fi series Face Off. And uh, yeah, there you go. That's that's Mackenzie. And um, the role of Alexandra was played by twins, uh, Jessica and Vanessa Bova. And of course, this is a common way to work with children due to restricted hours. Um, and it is their only credit. Now, I think that one of the only other children uh, other than Will, who ha- had already had a career as a child actor, uh, Jandy Swanson as Katie. She had a lot of credits as a child actor, uh, not so many later in life. So not sure if she continued in the business or not. And um, I, something that I wanted to point out here, because it leads into a little bit of a trivia about the special effects. You know, this episode has some parallels, I think, to the story of Forbidden Planet. Um, Even the name of the planet Aldea, which is Spanish for village, kind of sounds like Altair, where they were uh, in Forbidden Planet. Now, the power source for the people on Aldea was a miniature about two feet tall. And they figured it was more economical to do that than to do matte paintings to reveal how, uh, how these people got their their uh, power and and the computer that controlled their lives. Um, So it was shot and composited with the actors rather than doing the matte painting. And I thought, hey, that's exactly how they did the Krell machinery in Forbidden Planet. So a good use of a classic special effect. This episode features children prominently. Good news, though. There appears to be no liar in a shower curtain this time. Prologue. Welcome to Shangri-La. I mean, Shakari. 
I mean, Aldea. It's this totally awesome planet, centuries ahead of any other known technology. Kind of like Atlantis. There's just one thing. Like Atlantis, Aldea is a myth. As the legend goes, their technology was so advanced, all their needs were met. They were able to turn themselves over entirely to artistic and cultural pursuits. Sounds like a crazy pipe dream, right? Well, yeah, except the Enterprise was just led to this place in space that is where legend says Aldea would be. And once the Enterprise arrives, a planet appears, as if cloaked, seemingly out of nowhere. Act 1. Rochella of the planet Aldea greets the Enterprise. Yes, yeah, she says, this is that mystical planet hidden for millennia by sophisticated cloaking technology. Captain Picard wonders why they're revealing themselves now. Funny you should ask, says Rochella. We would love to talk to you about that face-to-face. We may be able to work a mutually beneficial deal. No sooner has Picard said okay than Rochella and an older male counterpart, Radu, are standing on the bridge of the Enterprise. They brought gifts and would love to talk more, but the light here is really hurting their eyes. How about we meet planet-side? Picard orders Riker to prepare an away team. When Radu and Rochella blip back to their planet, Troy says the Aldeans definitely want something, something the Enterprise values, something the Aldeans fear the Enterprise might not give up. The Aldeans say they're ready for Riker and his away team, which Riker hasn't even had time to assemble. No matter, the Aldeans are choosing anyway. They blip Riker, Troy, and Dr. Crusher down to the planet. Above the planet, and without warning, Aldea is probing the Enterprise. Not a long-range scanner sort of probe, an invasive light sort of probe. Seems to have singled out the children. Planet side, the Aldeans are explaining that, yeah, Aldea needs children. They can't have any of their own anymore. In exchange, Aldea will share some of their super-advanced technology. Needless to say, the Enterprise crew members freak out at this idea. Riker says no deal, which bums the Aldeans out. So they beam the away team back to the Enterprise, beam some of the Enterprise kids off of the Enterprise, including Wesley Crusher. Act 2. Radu calls up to the Enterprise. Look, your kids are fine. They will be fine. They'll lead perfectly happy lives. So, let's talk about what I can give you for the kids I've already taken. Captain Picard is enraged, saying the Aldeans have committed an act of utter barbarity. Radu says they can talk about this when Picard is calmed down. On the planet, the kids are scared, though Wesley calms them down. Radu and Rochella come in. He's not surprised to see Wesley leading the kids. The custodian said he'd probably be the one. Though the custodian? Uh, it's not a person, it's... Ah. Radu tells them they've each been chosen because each one is special. All they need to do is ask for anything they want. Going back to the Enterprise, not included. Above, the parents are meeting with the captain. He says he's going to talk over Aldea's offer of compensation, but that's just to bide time. He doesn't know how they'll get the kids back, but he promises the Enterprise will not leave without them. On the planet, the kids are being handed off to the families that will foster their developing talents. Harry, a kid who literally ran into Riker earlier, will become a great artist. Katie will become a fantastic musician. The other kids will do other things, and Wesley will apparently be an amazing babysitter. Radu tells him he needs to get the kids used to this idea. He is their leader. They are not leaving. Also, Rochella refuses to give up the cute little redhead kid that they kidnapped to her assigned family, so things are getting a little hairy. On the Enterprise, Data may have found a weakness in the Aldean shields. He'll work on exploiting that. Act 3. Wes gets to meet the custodian, and surprise, surprise, it's a great big computer running everything for this deteriorating society. Luckily, the Aldeans are about as security-conscious with their world-girding computer as the Enterprise is with its own IT. 
As soon as Wesley meets the custodian, he's given level three access. He can ask the custodian anything. For some reason, though, he directs his questions to the adult escorting him. Who built the custodian? How long ago? What's its power source? She quickly grows tired of his questions. Look, it does what we need. It takes care of us. What more do we need to know? The maker in Wesley seems truly troubled that nobody would know how to fix this thing should it break. Encouraged to address the custodian directly, Wes starts checking on the other children. They all seem fine. Above the planet, Picard's crew is still working on a way to exploit the weakness in Aldea's shields. Radu calls up and says he's ready to negotiate with the captain, though the captain insists on bringing Dr. Crusher down with him. Reluctantly, Radu agrees. Picard again argues for the return of their children, a point that Radu says is a non-starter. But seriously, the information we can share with you is primo. We'll at least let Dr. Crusher see Wesley, okay? Oh, all right, says Radu. Brought to him, Dr. Crusher and Wes make small talk. Sort of secretly, though, the doctor has slipped Wes a medical scanner with which he scans one of the Aldeans without the Aldeans' knowledge. Dr. Crusher heads back to the captain, telling him that the kids are all right. Well, duh, says the Aldeans. We want them to restart our race. Of course they're all right. Radu blips the captain and doctor back to the ship, then demonstrates their power if crossed. With barely a warning, the Enterprise is knocked three days away from Aldea at Warp 9. Radu says that that was a small demonstration of their power. Act 4. The Enterprise is two days into its three-day trip back to Aldea. On the planet, the kids are doing more of their art lessons and music lessons. The Aldean teaching Katie, the musician, is moved by her ability. He asks her to play something happy, but she can't. She doesn't feel happy. All of the kids are starting to become really sad, something that will affect their would-be adopted parents. Meanwhile, Wes is moving from babysitter to protester. He tells Radu and his wife that the kids do not want to be there and will not cooperate. Dr. Crusher has used the three-day journey to study the Aldean medical scan slipped to her by Wes. They're dying. There's some sort of chromosomal damage that makes it impossible for them to conceive. Maybe genetic, maybe environmental. She doesn't know and she's not sure whether she can fix it yet. Through her studies, though, she begins to detect a problem with the Aldean ozone layer. She thinks that that may be the source of their trouble. During the night, Wes rounds up all of the Enterprise kids. He starts teaching them about passive resistance. We don't eat, we don't do what they want, and they will send us home. Harry's on the fence. He'd like to go home, but he likes the Aldeans, and he likes learning to be an artist. Wes explains that they all have to be in this together or it won't work. Rochella finds all of the Enterprise kids together and asks what's going on, but the passive resistance movement has begun. She gets no answer as we had to break. Act 5. Time to wrap up the episode. Dr. Crusher has found the Aldeans are suffering from a sort of radiation poisoning. The effects are reversible with the proper treatment, and they'll be able to have kids of their own. Jordy has found a kinda crazy, but it just might work way to beam down through the fluctuation in the Aldean shield. Picard tasks Riker and Data with beaming down, finding the shield's power source, and knocking it out. The captain will stall the Aldeans. Down on the planet, the kids are on a hunger strike, and they're not talking to any of the Aldeans anymore. Radu invites Picard and Crusher down to complete negotiations. First things first, though, he wants Picard to talk to the kids about ending their strike. Picard says he'll talk to them, but he just rallies them, brings them back to Radu, then signals Riker, in Radu's presence, to hold for orders. Dr. Crusher explains their ozone-depleted situation to them, but good news, you can be cured. If you keep our kids, though, they'll die too. 
Radu doesn't believe it and is about to banish the adults again, but Rochella thinks the Enterprise adults may be onto something. Radu is still not buying it, though. He goes to blip the adults back, but whoops! Riker and Data have control of the Custodian. They've disabled Radu's control on the planet Shields. The Enterprise beams the kids out. A stricken Radu says the Enterprise has destroyed them, but Picard says they can help. And all is as it should be. The kids are back with their parents. The Aldeans are responding well to the treatment devised by Dr. Crusher. They and their planet will be fine, provided they never cloak nor shield themselves again. A rather uncomfortable Captain Picard gets a thank you hug from the youngest of the kidnapped children. The end. Well said, Ken. Well said. Mm. Um, you know, those kids on the Enterprise yeah. in the 24th century, they're very advanced. They are. Um, I, well, yeah, I like the idea that the first kid that we meet, Harry, yes, uh, he's like eight, maybe ten years old, and he's running away from calculus. Yes. Um, so it's, it's the show's subtle way of saying, look how much smarter we are in the future than you are now. Because here I was, 15, going on to 16, watching the show, dreading the idea that I would have to take calculus maybe in 11th or 12th grade. Yeah. And, and I knew that there was no way I would get through it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think there's actually something a bit more important there, but okay. Oh, more important than that, than, than running away from calculus? Well, I don't think it's just that our kids are going to be much smarter, but it's the whole... I mean, we, we sort of picture the Star Trek Society or the Federation Society as a place that's kind of like what the Aldeans have, where it's sort of every need is met and everything's taken care of, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. you're still going to know how to break stuff, you know, or how to fix stuff, rather. Oh, sure, breaks. yeah. I mean, yeah, so, yeah. so knowing calculus would be important, and this, of course, is a lesson that the Aldeans, you know, totally forgot when they got the custodian. And may yeah. I just say, I'm looking forward to a custodian. <laughs> well, yeah, no, but is that the wrong know, thing? I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I knew that was coming. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but well, Wesley's like, a, you know, he's like a, a kid with a hot rod who just, you know, can't wait to take it apart. You know, he, he sees the car. He wants to take it apart. He sees the computer. How does it work? How do I get in there and, and monkey around with it? Because he, he knows. He knows something will go wrong. It'll have to be fixed at some point. Well, and the weird thing is, and uh, this is supposed to be the goofy part of it, but I don't know that either of us noted this, so maybe it's worth saying. Mm -hmm. They're hit to the fact that all of these kids have something special. I mean, that, that, that totally invasive light probe thing mm -hmm. knows what each kid is good for, right? When they see Harry, they're like, oh, he'd be a great sculptor. He doesn't know it yet, but he would be a great sculptor. Right. Katie, I mean, Katie's not so difficult to figure out because, I mean, they steal her while she's playing music, but still. Right. So there's never been a computer, as far as we know, Maybe save the one on Binus. There's never been a computer like the Custodian, you know, well, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and Vol not included, and, <laughs> right? Yeah, and and, and Landru not Landrew, included, but yeah. still, <laughs> yeah. and and the fine work of Doctor Roger Corby not included, uh, uh -huh. and and Norman not included. Yeah, right. <laughs> Right. And Nomad, not included. Okay, except for every other computer we've seen on Star Trek, right? And, and Viger, except our own. And V'ger, not included. And <laughs> yeah. Except for all those, though. Yeah. Right? And, the, and, yeah. and the computer on the Enterprise. There's never been a computer like the one on Aldea. Mm -hmm. and, and so why was Wes brought there? He wasn't actually brought there to lead the kids. He was he was brought there to 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 get to know this incredibly advanced computer. It's not just mm -hmm. a matter of him wanting to tear it apart. Yeah. They actually say to Wes when he's saying, look, the kids are not going to go along with this. They're not going to agree with you. They say, look, everybody is getting something out of this. You more than anybody. Yeah. Which is kind of a, kind of an interesting thing. It's not just that he wants to break stuff to fix it. You know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. All, it's it's all I mean. 
the custodian, assuming that it was a custodian that made those choices, the custodian even knows. He's like, ah, yes, finally a kindred spirit, somebody who understands that I'm not magic. <laughs> right. Did uh, did all the parents on the Enterprise whose kids did not get taken? Were, were, was there a little bit of disappointment? Like, uh, is my kid not good at anything? No kidding. I actually yeah. wondered that. Were there only six kids? Although there were some kids left in the class, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's, that's great. Do you think the teacher immediately afterwards like, see what happens? You don't yeah. do your studies. <laughs> right, and then you don't get taken You don't away. get to go on the field trip. Uh-huh. I, I guess that's what happened. I, I don't know. I wonder where Wesley learned about hunger strikes and passive resistance. I mean, I, I don't – those things I would assume aren't news at the time in the 24th century. Yeah. And if he's learning that from history, well, that that's interesting. I just wonder how it would – you know, of all the things that you had to remember from history to get yourself out of a situation in the 24th century, remembering – passive resistance and hunger strikes. Um, you know, hey, I, I'm impressed with his knowledge of, of such tactics. Well, come on, dude. It's the Federation. They know everything. Well, I mean, they're a fairly peaceful society at this point. They're probably not going to be like, ah, oh, yeah, so here's how you make a dirty bomb. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. Or here's, I don't think they're giving out the anarchist cookbook. I think they're probably giving out, you know, stuff yeah. about uh, about Gandhi and, 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 and Martin Luther King Jr. and people like that. And, you know, the the random names they always throw out, like the 22nd century. Right, right. Oh, yes, gonna, like, yeah, like, yeah. like Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. or Blorat. Yeah. <laughs> Blormorg from the right. 24th century upheaval on yeah. 667. I don't know. That was good. Yeah, you thanks. could write Star Trek. I then. almost could, yeah. Well, I'll, uh-huh. just, I'll just do some of the filler work, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Um, it, it was a good thing that everybody in Aldea spoke English, uh, even though they had hidden themselves from every other spacefaring society ever. Oh, you're going to bring up the universal uh, translator argument again, aren't you? Oh, I guess, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. well you're good, yeah. But it, it, speaking of something that is uh, the same in every language, I like that it was kind of charmed that Picard says, first off, we come in peace. Yeah. You know, because it's usually what the aliens say to us right before they destroy us. (laughs) And Mark Twain says, but you leave in pieces. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's like three jokes in there. So Uh have at. Um, Uh I got to say, you want proof positive the Aldeans are so far advanced from us? I mean, even and uh, just leave off the whole we can hide a planet thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Their transporter technology is so much better than the Federation's because the away team is sitting with Radu, and then he blips them out, and they they go back to the bridge standing. Oh man, they sure do! I totally expected them to fall over when they got there. I thought, oh, and that'll yes. be a distraction, and they won't know what happened. But no, they're like standing there when they get back, and I'm like, wow, that is advanced transporter technology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Wow. And, and you know what else is very advanced hmm. is that the custodian has this kind of like creepy big brother ability to tune in anyone anywhere. See what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Listen to them, and and Wesley is just like, "Oh, show me this. Actually, show me that." Seriously, dude, that's only like five years ahead of our technology currently, isn't it? But they got cameras <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> cameras that zoom in. Like, here, let me All see right. the thing that you're working on, kid. Seven years, maybe. Right. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I, I kept thinking that uh, Picard, mm-hmm. uh, after he realized what the Aldeans want, when the, the big reveal, they took the children, you know, and they're uh, kind of worried about it. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking that what I wanted Picard to do was get on the comm <laughs> to the entire ship and, and say something along the lines of, attention, crew, the Aldeans have taken our children. 
This is a grievous affront, and we will do everything we can to get them back. But while we're waiting, <laughs> let's all just think, really, uh, is that the worst thing that could happen? I, I, I mean, they, they're alive. We're still alive. It looks like a nice place. Uh, just keep that in mind. Picard out. Yeah, that's, that's fun. Somebody should have pulled like a, uh, like a, was it, was it, um, I mud? Was it I mud when, when we heard about the, uh, when we heard about the warp drive the size of a walnut? Oh yeah. Oh no, it, it was, uh, uh, uh Sargon. Okay. It, it was, uh, yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah, you see, there are a number of things. There are a number of things that I think that the Eldans did wrong. First of all, okay. don't kidnap a teenager. No, they have ideas, right? And and you, what you really want is a bunch of five year olds, six year olds, and you want to like steal them in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to. You don't want to like. Don't present like some dumb bargain. Like, oh, we can tell you lots of stuff for your children. No, no, no. You go to individuals and say, so data. Would you be interested in building more robots? Let me show you right, how. Right, Say, right. Jordy, would you be interested? You know, I've heard tell of warp engines the size of a walnut, but I, I can give you one the size of a peanut. Right. Right. And Picard, I don't know. You see how none of us are bald? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> right. I don't know what you'd give him, but right. Right. yeah, just sort of the whole, oh, we'll give you something awesome. No, yeah, come on. Sweeten the deal a little bit. I actually, yeah. so here's the one question. Does Data just so go along with the humans that he's not... There was a weird thing, actually, that happened where, where um, Troy said uh, humans are unusually attached to their children. As, as if to say that the Betazoids aren't. And I'm wondering, like, like, like what actually would Deanna and, and Data have gone, well, let's hear them out. Right. <laughs> right. No, I, I wondered about that because, well, and on the Enterprise, you apparently have you know, representatives of almost every race, every species that we've come across. It's true. So it, Vulcans would be like, well, it, it's logical. Here's yeah. my kid. Yeah. <laughs> I could really use that warp technology. I'm not going to waste got. their time on sculpture, though. What about Klingons? I thought about that, too. Like, oh, like, yeah. Could they have taken, well, we don't know if there are actually Klingon children ever at this point, but had there right, been a Klingon right, right. child on the had Enterprise, yeah. could they have been like, oh, yeah, we'll take that? Because the Klingons would totally go for that deal. Mm-hmm. So what the Romulans, I think about it. And yeah, you're right. The, the Vulcans too. Basically, they picked the one race in the galaxy that we know of that was like, yeah, no, nah, that's not going to work. Now, that line of Deanna's did stand out to me for that reason, because, I, I, you know, part of me thought that it was her trying to address them on their level mm. to say, like, look, I know you don't get it. I know I don't get it. But these humans, they're attached. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but. Yeah, it, maybe it is something. Maybe it is something about the future and the other uh, uh, the other species that we run into that uh, that they're just not as attached to their children, and they they know a good deal when they see it. A Ferengi, <laughs> Ferengi would trade their kids in a heartbeat. They would offer their kids first. Here, take them. I could really use your technology. In the music portion of today's show, was that kid playing an instrument? Or was she playing a 24th century game of Simon? Well, in doing the discussions of the show, if, if there happens to be a bonk bonk on the head message, I like to go ahead and get those uh, sort of out of the way quickly. Mm-hmm. There, there are lots of subtle messages, I think, uh, in here, at least uh, a decent amount of things to discuss. But the bonk bonk on the head message, uh, the peril of this planet is brought to you by environmental concerns. Environmental concerns. Pay attention to them, or they'll kill you. John? <laughs> Perfect. That's kind of that, it, right? I mean, yeah, it's, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, I think there might be something with their ozone layer, and the second she says that, it's like, oh, okay, then probably it's not maybe. 
Yeah, once yeah. she says it, it would have been funny if, like, like for three acts, right? She's like, I'm pretty sure it's the ozone layer. I'm pretty sure it's the ozone Oh, no, it was something they ate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when they mention the holodeck in the prologue. You know there's going to be something with the holodeck, right? Yeah. It'd yeah. be kind of funny if they mention the holodeck in the prologue. If they ever do that in an episode, if they mention the holodeck in the prologue and then we'd never hear about the holodeck again, I'm going to be so messed up. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, if there was ever a you see Timmy moment, yeah. then, uh, then that that was it, surely. But, I, I mean, I, I think there were other more, not necessarily more interesting, but more more subtle mm-hmm. and uh, and some more fleshed out uh, points of discussion here. Yes. Um, I, I do want to start with the idea, because I, I want to come back to the environmental thing, because it, it ties into a, a, a psychological phenomenon that I've been thinking about. Um but I want to get to the technology thing first. Uh, one of the storylines that Hannah Shearer was interested in is how technology can dehumanize. In fact, Ken, I, I think a great band once said, the problem's plain to see. Too much technology, machines to save our lives, machines dehumanize. Man, now I'm wondering who you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I'm Kilroy. Yeah. Uh, they they are totally dependent on their computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Aldeans are, and uh, but but they're you know another in a long line of Star Trek foils who are totally brilliant but act completely stupidly. Now, unlike the Binars, they actually did ask at first. You know, they, they sort of said, "Hey, here's what we're going to do. You okay with that? Not okay with it? Never mind. We're doing it anyway." Um, but like the binars, they failed to see any alternatives to their needs. You know, the, the Picard was ready to negotiate, not for the children, but at least for help. And they were unable to see that help could come in any other form. Um, the Aldeans are living under worst case scenario. They, their reliance on technology will actually make them extinct. And at the same time, they seem to be unable to design technology with any kind of failsafe or any kind of warning system. I kept wanting the custodian to say, I, yeah, they're right about the ozone layer. I've been trying to tell you that for centuries and nobody <laughs> listened to me. Um, well, this could again be why he brought um, Crusher. Mm-hmm. That can honestly be the reason they brought Wesley, because Wesley's got nothing else going for him there. I mean, yes, he can lead those kids, but that's just going to be by virtue of his age, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he's 15 years old. Of course, all the other kids are going to look up to him, at least for a while. And then if he ends up being a total tool, then they won't. But I mean, you know, when they first get there, they're going to look to the closest thing they have who is an adult that they know, and so that's going to be him. Yeah. But yeah. we know from the stuff with the Traveler and, you know, with his ability to... You know, even when drunk, save the Enterprise just through some of his, you know, interesting um, technological know-how and from being able to figure out the problem on the holodeck. I mean, he's a technological whiz kid. It's it's possible that this is why Wes is there. I mean, maybe the custodian he's even trying to save uh, is trying to save them in ways that they don't understand. Although that's that's assuming a whole lot. But otherwise, it makes no sense that he's there. So, yeah, I'm kind of willing to go with that. Yeah, no, it could be. I, I think that's not a, a bad idea. And, and speaking of the custodian, you know, mm-hmm. built millennia ago by people that we don't know, mm-hmm. and it does everything that the current people need. Mm-hmm. So I can see also Val and Landrew and the old ones, you know. Um, it, it frees these people from work and worry uh, until it doesn't. Um, and to me, I don't know, Ken, does this worry you that this is a another classic Star Trek message here that we, we can't have that. We can't have a world free of worry and problems. So, Ken, I pose it to you. 
because it, it made me think of this. Are, are you uh, concerned at all that there's maybe a message that you can't just have a, uh, a perfect society that pursues art and music um, because uh, ultimately it will fail and... Uh, well, I mean, there must be something wrong with them that needs to be fixed. And certainly, it's a common refrain in mm-hmm. uh, in in Star Trek. But honestly, at least they're pursuing art and music. I mean, if this happened today, remember a couple of years ago, or I guess it was last year, as we record this, right, where they were mm-hmm. like, "Oh man, there was a solar flare that if the Earth had been in just the wrong place at the wrong time, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. of our systems would have failed." Right. And it's sort of crazy to think about, but yeah, we're we're kind of there now. I know a couple of phone numbers, so if my phone was suddenly wiped <laughs> right. out, I might be able to call people. But here's the thing. Most of those phone numbers are actually cell phones, and, yeah. and I don't have a landline. So even if you get the copper wiring working again, it'd be a long time before I talk to you, know, you or Rod or anybody else. Everything that I do in my life right now, as far as making a living, is tied mm-hmm. to technology. And I'm not yeah. spending all of my time pursuing you know, art and music and things like that. And yet everything right. that I do... Is, is tied to technology, and everything that most of us do, or a lot of us do at this point, is tied to that as well. Just so, like the binars. A bit like the binars, and a bit yeah. like, uh, a bit like uh, these guys, yeah, uh, whose names I've already forgotten, the Aldeans. A bit like <laughs> the Aldeans. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's sort of an interesting, you might say that it's an interesting cautionary tale back in 1990, I'm sorry, 1988, 88, when yeah. this was coming out, because I had used a computer, but I didn't own a computer at the time. Um, I was fairly familiar with how some of them worked, but we weren't nearly as tied into any of this stuff. Cell phones, I think, were still the size of a suitcase if you had them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, I mean, yeah, you can say, oh, well, you can't just pursue this and pursue that because, it, I mean, it, because you know, th- that society is destined to not survive if you're saying, you know, just art and music and things like that. Right, right. But, I mean, even more than that, just the uh, utter reliance of technology, which, you know, look around, you're soaking in it. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, so yeah, it's a cautionary tale that we we ignored. So let's just keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best, and and stay as far away from the sun as we can. Exactly. Well, okay. Let, let's talk about that. Let's let's get back to the environmental message because I, I think it ties neatly into something that bothered me a bit about the end of the episode hmm. that um, Picard and Crusher beam down, and uh, meanwhile Riker and Data are off trying to. Um, to overtake the computer and uh, disable the shield. Mm-hmm. Um, and you literally, you know, as you point out in Act 5 of your summary, it's just like, well, we're almost at the end of the episode, so yeah. we need to end the episode. Right. Um, and this might be a difference between early Star Trek The Next Generation and what we get later in Next Gen and later in the other Star Trek series, because this ties up very neatly. You have Picard and you have Crusher say, look, you have a problem here. Here's the problem. Uh, the Big Radu uh, counters that. <laughs> uh, see what I did there? Did see what I did there? Uh. Um, so Radu uh, uh, counters that just for a moment. But Rochelle is when it says, no, 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 hear them out. And Picard and Crusher go at it again, say, look, here's what happened. And here's why you can't reproduce. And here's how we're going to help you fix it. <laughs> and then he just sort of says, like, well, OK, so go ahead. And all I could think about is um, it, there's been a lot of study in the last few years about a, a psychological phenomenon that you, you could call it digging in. You call it the backfire effect. In which uh, a person who has a preconceived position on a topic will reinforce their original idea 
when presented and especially when presented with new evidence, particularly if that new evidence is presented in a dispassionate scientific way. So what it says is that at least for humans, maybe the Aldeans are different, but for us, facts are far less important than maintaining the position and making sure that our brains maintain our personal narrative. So Radu is digging in about his position on the computer that maintains their world. And he thinks, you know, that his solution is the only solution and that radiation poisoning is not causing their infertility. Mm-hmm. Um, but then all it takes is Crusher and Picard with a few well-placed words to say, nope, we have the proof. Well, unfortunately, when you're dealing with human beings, even if you say we have the proof, that doesn't work. It makes people dig in further to their original position. There's, there's one thing that I would disagree with you on. Mm-hmm. And and I'm going to reinforce this with what I'm saying because what <laughs> okay, I'm saying is what ahead. I believe. Now, I mean, yeah. it, 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 he doesn't just back Radu down by mm-hmm. saying, you know, science. And Radu says, no, not science. And, and Picard goes, no, science. Okay, yeah. science then. He also takes over their planet. I mean, well, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, thing it, that's it, always worked for Radu. Well, no, I mean, it's all muscle at that yeah. point. Radu was like, because here's the deal. Uh, Picard says, you know, you guys are poison and you're going to poison our children. And Radu says, no. And Rochelle says, eh, maybe. And Radu says, no. And he doesn't just reach to try to beam them away. He tries to beam them away. Yeah. So he's not going to be swayed. It is only when he has no hope anymore that he's then willing to listen to the science thing. But at that point, it's like a last-ditch effort, right? It's just, well, I can't kidnap your kid, so I guess try your cure. You know what I mean? He's, <laughs> right, ne- he's right, never right. on board with it. Until he is forced to be on board with it, which is different than the Rochella thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yes, it it is true. And and maybe if uh, Picard did learn anything from Kirk, it's that uh, when in doubt, uh, disable the powerful computer that runs your enemy's systems. Sure. You know, if you got to destroy the god Val, then you got to destroy the god Val. Well, you know, it's interesting, though. I never got the sense that they destroyed the custodian. They took down the shield. No, no, yeah. And the uh, no, power I, source that was yeah. that was hiding the planet. But is the custodian gone? No, no. I, I do believe the custodian is still there, and they will help them to repair whatever they can repair. The thing with the shield, though, and that was pretty interesting, is that their entire planet's history, mm-hmm. at least from the point that they had that technology forward, has been predicated on the idea of staying hidden and secret. And now they just took that away from them. Yes. Too bad. You no, you no longer get that. Yes. And that, yeah, I understand that there's really no other choice there except maybe you help them develop a new way to shield their planet. But, I mean, mm-hmm. that could actually lead to worse disaster later on. Now they could be a target. Now they perhaps don't know how to defend themselves. Now, you know, you know, there could be any any band of other alien forces that show up and well, start to take advantage of either the people or the technology that's there. Here's the thing. It's not really made clear whether the custodian is allowed to exist or not. I mean, we do know they can defend themselves because they, they, they took the Enterprise from a standing position to uh, right, three, they three days it. away at warp nine. Right. Yeah, yeah. With, with this sort of like repulsor comet yeah. kind of thing. Right. It's interesting that you're getting caught on. Well, not caught on, but you're 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 doing the whole um now they're suddenly exposed thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. There was uh, this was of course before the collapse of the Soviet Union, but I couldn't help think of uh, Star Trek Six 
during part of this episode. Um, mm-hmm. The Aldeans will be fine, provided they deal plainly and openly uh, going forward, rather than hiding behind their wall. Which was sort of the point of what was happening with the Klingons in Star Trek VI. And the only reason I bring up the Soviet Union is because Star Trek VI was supposed to be an analog to the fall of the Berlin Wall a couple of years earlier. So I mean, it's kind of interesting. They can live and the, they can they can live, you know, sort of in this in this cloistered environment, and they can think everything's fine, and they can they can have this, you know air of you know we are superior but they're dying and they and mm-hmm, they, they mm-hmm. and they're so like into their own ideas that they don't realize that they're dying and it's only it's only like like seriously by by leaving themselves open to outside dealings uh, that they're going to be able to survive yeah yeah true true um but i it's going to be a a huge change particularly because all we've seen of aldea is maybe about what nine people living there i know and yet we hear (laughs) we hear that there are thousands but only thousands i think i think i think troy says that she gets thousands of minds when they're when they're in the vicinity of the then invisible planet aldea yeah 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 i mean you have to wonder if the custodian is so good at keeping them alive, you know, mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of medical technology there. So even if they're unable to reproduce at this point, do they at least live exceptionally long lives? You know, how long has this been going on? Mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, that's a really good question. Yeah. And that one it's addressed. Yeah. Could have been happening for a while. Um, I also saw that uh, the Aldeans ask really bad questions. Um, they, they don't even know what questions to ask at one point that exchange between Wesley and, uh, Oh, I, I forget her name. Do, do, uh, do, do something. <laughs> um, but it, no, you know, no, no, close. <laughs> uh, where they're standing in front of the custodian and yes. she doesn't even understand the nature of what he is asking. And, uh, the, the, you know, intellectual curiosity is, uh, terrible for them to be such an advanced race. Um, Wesley is the only one interested in how the custodian works because he assumes and he knows that it will break down eventually. Um, And I kept thinking, you know, this is sort of the point of view that it's like anyone taking calls on a tech support uh, from someone who just doesn't understand how their laptop or smartphone works at all. Mm -hmm. They're just speaking completely different languages from that point forward. And uh, it'll be a long road for them to well, uh, to even begin to understand. I don't know why I feel the need to uh, defend the Aldeans on this. It's not <laughs> it's not intellectual curiosity that escapes them. Certainly, technological curiosity does. This has always worked, and so this is always going to work. And that's not something they're interested in. You you ask her about you know philosophy or or elements of design. I don't know. We never really found out what her uh, what her gift was. Being well, old. See this. Ask her about being old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, then she may have a bunch of answers. It's not that she's dumb. This is just not an area that she's pursued. I'm not saying that that's okay for a society. I'm just saying, you know, you're 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 sort of painting her with a with a broad brush. I think. Well, but see, here's the thing. I, I think we could even argue that they're not necessarily philosophically very advanced. Now, they do pursue art and music, mm-hmm. and and it's this sort of like Greek utopian thing. Mm-hmm. Um, although I did worry. Because, you know, they can only make so much art, but then there are no tourists coming to their planet. So I don't know how they're going to offload any of that. You just you open up an Aldean closet and it's full of sculptures and CDs they can't get rid of. Yep. Um, but I, I got the impression that they weren't uh, that they weren't philosophically very um, I, I shouldn't say not advanced, but um, 
Well, curious. Again, the, the intellectual curiosity, I thought, kind of limited them because here's at least Radu, mm-hmm. the, the nominal head of the society, unable to engage Picard, um, pun not intended, with any kind of philosophical understanding of what was going on. It was just purely a, here's what we need, here's what we need, we're taking it because this is the pragmatic answer to what we're doing. Um, but I didn't get the impression that they uh, that they necessarily dedicated themselves to thought. They dedicated themselves to art, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, maybe it's just the limits of a 40-something minute episode that you can't get into um, philosophically how they've structured their lives. You have to agree. As world-controlling computer overlords go, the custodian was not a bad sort. All right, Ken, we've talked about the, uh, the deep morals, meanings, and ideas, the messages, the philosophies here. So let's kick things off in the last segment here for you to tell me what you think about the episode as an episode. Does it hold up? Hmm. Um, there's going to be bad hair for the first couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we know that, so maybe we can just go ahead and leave that off. There's not as much bad hair in this episode as there was on Angel One, uh, but there's some bad hair. Um, sure. The problem, honestly, and I think we came across this in And the Children Shall Lead. I mean, there were so many problems in And the Children Shall Lead that we really didn't concentrate too much on the acting of the children. Um, there are child actors who can act, and then there are child actors who can stand in front of the camera. Yeah. And the second kind, I think, are much more common than the first. And I'm not saying that those kids couldn't act if, you know, if they were in a movie or something like that, if somebody was working with them for a longer period of time, then you mm-hmm. might have gotten some good uh, performances out of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie Corsmo, Haley Joel Osment, Christina Ricci, um, yeah. the kid who played Little Man Tate and Little Man Tate. These were all, like, really, like, good child actors. Yeah. Or, or the directors just like drew something out of them a lot, and uh, and these kids are bad actors, um, or or they weren't directed properly. I don't know. I don't know what you want to say at that point. But the problem is where so much of the episode hinges on the kids, um, and they're just so blessed. Many of them, yeah. it's it's kind of tough. The kid who played Harry wasn't awful, mm-hmm. but he wasn't. You know, he wasn't great. And the scripts, it's, yeah. I mean, the the episode honestly strikes me as fine. Like the hair is not terrible, but it's not great. The kids aren't awful, but they're not wonderful. Production seemed okay. I'm a little bothered, and this is a little too geeky, but that a cloaked Klingon vessel puts off the same sort of warpy signature as a cloaked planet. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. You know, if you want to go totally geeky on them, a little bit bothered that, you know, they don't approach a planet and like data's not like, so I'm getting like a weird gravitational thing. You know, yeah. like we're near a planet, it's you know it's not until they actually see it that they even have any sense that it's there. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was fine. It's not. It's not terrible. It's not. It's not awesome as far as the production standpoint. At least that's my feeling. What about you? Yeah, I'm kind of there with you. I, you know, I think there are people again who look at this episode and they hold it up uh, against something like um, Angel One or Code of Honor, and they go, "Oh, this is terrible! It's the worst of the worst!" And it's the one with the kids. And I didn't really think that there is a bit of a backbone to the story here. There, there's something mm-hmm. interesting going on. It, it's interesting when you look at um, 
the details that were given about the Aldeans, and the, certainly their solution is novel, <laughs> you know, um, and exploring these ideas of technology and uh, again, all very interesting stuff. But when you rest so much of that on the kids and you don't have just phenomenal child actors to carry that off, you have a little bit of a problem. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you, you have a bunch of kids who are around, say, six, seven, eight, maybe 10 years old. And then you've got Will, who's 15 mm-hmm. at the time. And I don't think Will is a bad actor at all. I think he's a very good actor. And certainly when he was in Stand By Me years before this, he was fantastic in that movie. Yeah. But I think part of this comes down to direction, where a lot of those scenes with the kids, it just sort of sucked the air out of the room. They were just sort of bland scenes. And that hurts the overall enjoyment of uh, of the episode. <laughs> so there's good stuff here. But the execution, particularly because it relies on the kids, uh, really hurts it in the end. But more important than that. So, I mean, long and short, does the episode hold up? Not really. No. <laughs> but I, it's not bad. It's not the worst. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I would say it doesn't hold up, but it's not, it, it's not, it's not excellent either. I mean, it's fine for a Saturday afternoon. If you're yeah, flipping channels yeah. and this is on, you're not, you're not rolling your eyes the whole time, I don't think. It's, it, <laughs> right. it holds up well enough. But, I mean... Yeah. But that, I mean, the question that you're asking is not, is it excellent? You're asking if it holds up. And yeah, it holds up okay. Mm-hmm. It'd be better if the kids were better or if there weren't yeah. kids. One of the, one of the two. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but, but more importantly, messages. Mm. Uh, I think we, we both found that there was a lot going on here. So um, I'll, uh, t- I'll take a stab at it and you, you bring us home then. Please do. Um, you know, face value. You, you hit it in the last segment. The, the face value message here, don't destroy the ozone layer. Or more broadly, just don't destroy your environment. Those are good lessons. Of yeah. course they are. And those hold up. <laughs> and we should honestly Says respect you. those lessons. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, Hippie. You know, the, 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 <laughs> the fault that I find here at the episode is just kind of the simplistic way that things are wrapped up. Now, you make a good point that they basically hold, you know, Picard by disabling their uh, defenses system, their shield, basically holds them hostage to say, here's your problem. Listen to me now. Mm-hmm. Um but the other part of it is that Radu and the other people on the planet don't want to hear the truth about their situation. And Picard and Crusher, fortunately, at this time, show up to be able to argue with him. Um, and he has no choice at that point but to give in. Um, so if we can learn anything from that, and I would say it kind of goes back to the binars as well, you know, be prepared to take in new information and change your views. Uh, and that's why I talked about the backfire effect earlier. Um, Beverly has a pretty good uh, lesson in there as well. Don't give in to fear. You know, she's approaching the whole situation of the children being kidnapped a little more rationally than she was during justice. But even then, she was pretty level-headed for a mother facing the execution of her child. In fact, I think in that meeting, when the uh, they're all in the conference room and the parents say something like they're getting all worked up about it as they should be that their kids have been kidnapped and i think it's dr crusher who says well we all knew the risks when we signed up for this assignment yeah and i'm thinking really you just you're gonna throw that out there like well come on you knew this could happen (laughs) we all talked about the possibility that our kids would be you know kidnapped by an alien race right 
<laughs> right. Yeah, that actually seemed a little, but you know, good for her for for keeping a level head. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, not to. I, I want to, and um, I, I understand what you're saying about being ready or being willing to um, accept new information when it comes. Mm-hmm. I would go a little bit further, though, and and going back to what I had said earlier about the Star Trek VI thing, I, I think there's definitely a message here about not leading such a cloistered life, you know, about not yeah. just surrounding yourself with your own thoughts and your own ideas and your own beliefs, but not so much as being willing to accept new evidence when new evidence is presented to you, but just being open to other ideas in general. And that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that you don't have your own beliefs, that you don't have your own, you know, system by which you live. But, I mean, just being aware of other possibilities might not be the worst thing in the world because then they might not have gotten to the dire straits that they were in. Um, mm-hmm. I'm loving when we're finding, like, like just little one-line gems lately. Um, we talked about a couple over the past few weeks. Uh, there was a fantastic one today where Picard is telling Data to hurry up about something. And Data says, uh, I'm sorry, Captain, that's impossible. And, and Picard says, things are only impossible until they're not. Mm-hmm. And I love that, especially honestly, in light of this, um, especially in light of the implied environmental uh, environmental message here, or the overarching environmental message here. I remember arguing with a friend of mine years ago about whether or not solar power was going to be a thing, and whether or not wind power could be something, and you know how we could have uh, electric cars as opposed to as opposed to to, to um, fossil fuel driven cars. Mm-hmm. And her response was, "Well, it's just never going to blah blah blah." And right. well, of course, it could be at some point. It's not going to be tomorrow. But I mean, right. it, these are possibilities that could be. You can't. You literally can't say never when you're talking about something like that. I mean, you can say it's not going to be easy. You can say it's going to be expensive. You can even say that you can't see it, but you can't decide that it's never going to be. Yeah. Because I mean, it's 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 possible. And sure, it seems impossible at that point. But then, so much that we have today would have seemed impossible to somebody. 25 years ago, so much of what we have today would have seemed impossible to a lot of people, let alone 50, let alone 100. Mm-hmm. So I loved, I mean, honestly, that line, that, and it sounds almost like Yogi Berra-ish. You know, things are only impossible until they're not, but that actually was kind of an awesome message. Uh, the passive resistance thing, excuse me, is interesting. Um, works a little too quickly and too easily in this episode. <laughs> right. yeah. I think there are other people who would say, yeah, passive resistance is an interesting way to start. Um, I don't, I don't, it's not the, it's not the uh, cure-all that it is presented as in this episode. Although again, it's really not the cure-all in this episode because I mean, really the cure-all in this episode is, is the might of the enterprise now actually on Aldea's doorstep. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the cure-all is eminent disaster combined with uh, a forceful takeover <laughs> of, of their defensive systems. So yeah. You know, I, I, hopefully we don't get to that point on our own planet to solve our own problems, but they, they were able to kind of uh, speed things up at the end here. Yes. Yeah. So do those messages hold up as far as you're concerned? All of them do. I, I think, yeah, this is this is classic Star Trek in the respect of not not that it's an episode with kids. We, we kind of got to ignore a lot of that through our discussion here. Yeah. Uh, the, but yeah, it holds up. The messages hold up because this sort of does classically what Star Trek does. We present some great ideas about technology, about environment, about learning, and about cooperation, and tie it all up with a big science fiction bow in the end. Um, yeah, I thought it held, I think it holds up very well in those respects. Um, mm-hmm. The episode itself may not hold up as well. 
but yeah. certainly the message is hold up. Sure. I'm with yeah. you, except for all that environmental guff. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. How how dare Star Trek do that? I know. You know what's awesome? I can actually get hate mail from both sides now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be great. That'll, that'll be awesome. So, yes, I think we, yes, the environmental message and yeah, most of the messages that we discussed. Yeah. I would say hold up as well. Hey, uh, before you uh, pick up those pens and start sending hate mail, uh, we do want to remind people to check out Roddenberry.com. Lots of cool stuff there. As Ken has mentioned before, yeah, there's a shop and they have cool things like Star Trek props and uh, costumes and scripts and all kinds of great stuff. But, that is also your portal to other great information from Roddenberry. 1701 News, which is kind of your running ticker of what's important in the world of Star Trek, updated all the time. And uh, the Warp 5.0 Fan Census. You can submit your own video or you can catch up with the team at a convention and you can talk about what Star Trek means and what it means to you. I, I would, Ken, I would even be so bold as to say that that's a great sort of uh, parallel to Mission Log. You know, this is a place where people, just everybody can go on and they can say, yeah, here's what I get out of Star Trek. Here's what it means to me. So check it out. That's the fan census on Roddenberry.com. Next week, we hope you will join us on Mission Log when we hit home soil. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at Theory. Mars Needs Women. All Day on Needs Children. And Me. I Need a Drink. Or the Computer Equivalent Anyway. And Transmission.